The Nation State of Play podcast is produced by IBC Media in San Diego, California. Hi, and welcome to Nation State of Play. I'm your host, Brian Miller. On each episode of this podcast, we explore high-impact topics determining the future of our nation state. Well, Ned, thanks so much for being on the show today. It's a pleasure to have you. Yeah, thanks for having me. Uh, Before we get into the substance of the policy here, can you tell us a little bit about your coalition and who is in it? Yeah, uh, our coalition is the Protect California Healthcare uh, Coalition. Uh, We're comprised of uh, doctors, nurses, hospitals, uh, employers, uh, other Californians uh, concerned about single payer. Uh, uh, Includes the state medical association, state hospital association, state health plan association, state chamber, uh, organizations representing small businesses, uh, nurses, others. Okay, so there's some interesting bedfellows there. Uh, the doctors and the nurses tend to fight a little bit in Sacramento about scope of practice things and, and other issues. So you, you've got a nice broad coalition of people who don't always agree. And I, I think that's interesting. T- tell me um, tell me more about that. Do is, you know, you when, it, when I see the breadth of that coalition, I'm sort of interested in, um, you know, sort of uh, who's, who's not in it from your perspective, who you might like to see. Mm-hmm. Um- well, the, the folks that aren't in it are the folks who are the proponents of single payer. Uh, and those are the, the California Nurses Association, which is a different set of nurses. Uh, and a lot of folks who are sort of self-styled progressives uh, who, who, who believe in uh, the cause of single payer and, and who have sort of turned it into sort of a, you know, uh, one, of, one of the causes that they champion. There's a lot, there's a lot of passion on the other side. Uh, our, our coalition is as broad as it is in part because of the sweeping breadth of single payer. Uh, single payer would seek to completely remake the healthcare system uh, in California or any or in any place that they're seeking single payer. On the one hand, and at the same time, it also is just contains a massive fiscal requirement, both in terms of higher taxes and also uh, hundreds of billions of dollars that you need to get from the federal government um, every year. Uh, so. Our coalition is so broad because the issue is so sweeping. So I, w- I want to get a couple of sort of big picture policy points out on the table be- because I, I feel like this is an area where the the opponents of single payer can sometimes go too far and, and, it, and it can backfire. And I, and I'm, I, I certainly um, I think I've been guilty of this myself in the past. And, and, and so I just want to get a couple points out on the table. First, you're not suggesting that everything is well with our healthcare system, correct? No, that's right. I mean, I think uh, I would make two points about that. Uh, one, uh, we've made uh, incredible progress in healthcare uh, in the last ten or twelve years in California in terms of expanding in terms of expanding coverage. Uh, with, with the governor's proposed budget now, basically we have universal access to healthcare. Everybody can get was going to be able to get healthcare who wants it, whether you're undocumented, whether you're uh, going through your employer, whether you can't afford to, so you need to be on Medi-Cal, whether you're on Medicare. Uh, we've essentially gotten to a place with the governor's budget this year where we're at universal healthcare. Even before the budget, we were had shrunk the uh, the number of uninsured to something like five or six percent here in California. So that's tremendous strides. We've also made some progress on affordability in terms of making healthcare more affordable, particularly for sort of middle class and sort of working class families. Uh, the, the, the places that we need to do better are still the, the number one issue is still affordability. Healthcare is still, still too expensive for most folks. And 
everybody in our coalition, whether it's the doctors or hospitals or chamber, uh, all uh, believe that. They all have different perspectives about what the right answer is to, to make healthcare more affordable, but everybody agrees that something needs to be done. Uh, what they don't think needs to be done is uh, dismantling our entire healthcare system in order to in order to solve the affordability problem. In part because we have a great healthcare system, largely, or one that which is uh, which most people most people like. Something like three quarters of people are satisfied with the healthcare system or with the healthcare that they get. Um, uh, one and two also, uh, it's it, the other side loves to say, or sorry, proponents love to say that single payer is going to bring down costs. Um, but but that is that is wildly optimistic that state government is going to take over our healthcare system and is actually going to bring down costs. Okay, so so let's talk about the zero and some of those numbers you said. First of all, you know, we're at over ninety percent, or basically ninety five percent coverage today in California. Is that about right? Yeah. Um, ballpark. How does that compare to other states? If if you know, I think we're leading the country. If we're not, if we're not at the top, we're very near the top. Okay. Um, so so we've got this access issue, and I don't want to spend most of the time talking about that. I, I, I want to just briefly, <clears throat> again, in the interest of acknowledging that the other side has a point here, talk about the quality issue, because I hear you that 75% of Californians are satisfied. I think where we can sometimes go too far, <clears throat> and, and I've recently been reminded of this, is you know we have this sort of saying out there that the US has the greatest healthcare system in the world. I've, I've, been, I've repeated that myself. Um, on the other hand, life expectancy fell in the U.S. last year, one of the only large countries that that happened. Russia was the only country with a steeper decline than the U.S. Um, that's, a, that's a really alarming statistic amongst many others that are certainly related to access, but, uh, um, but we're getting into some quality issues, too. So does, would you acknowledge that there's um, some imperfections that we need to be making progress on as well, not just on the access side, but on the quality side? Uh, on the afford- yeah, not just on the affordability side, but on the, <clears throat> on the quality side. Uh, yes, I think the, that one of the challenges in, understand- in diagnosing what's wrong with the healthcare system is the question of metrics. And a lot of people point to uh, morbidity rates or, or lifespan as sort of one of the key metrics, right, for determining whether whether a healthcare system is is functioning as it should, whether our healthcare system how it's performing relative to, relative to other systems. I think one of the things that that in the public health space people are increasingly focusing on as they grapple with that question, right, is whether there are a better set of metrics and whether. Uh, whether we need to do something more broadly about other environmental factors, which are also key drivers of healthcare, we're sorry, which are also key drivers of people's health. So things like um, air pollution, things like uh, ac- you know diet and access to healthy nutrition, uh, things which are other sort of what you know comorbidity factors, things which drive um, things in our environment and in our, in, in our, in our society, which do have an impact, have, can have a massive impact on health. Um, you know, you, you sort of pointed to some of the recent numbers, right? And one of the, another one of the issues that people are increasingly focused on is mental health. And what are the driving factors around mental health? And particularly when we're in a, in a pandemic, um, all that said, yes, I think, uh, everybody recognizes that, uh, our system can do better. Um, I think that, uh, again, a lot, 
very reasonable, very educated, very smart people who spend their lives focused on healthcare policy um, can disagree about what the right solution is to that to the, those sets of issues. Well, I think that's a really important point. I and let, let's unpack that a little bit more because because as you say, you know, li- lifespan I think is a sexy topic. It's one I think about a lot, um, and uh, there's certainly a lot of really interesting breakthroughs going on in this. Um, and and yes, there there are some implications from healthcare in terms of that, but the vast majority of what you're supposed to do, at least my understanding, I'm, I'm not a doctor, but if you're really focused on increasing your lifespan, it's all kinds of diet issues. It's all kinds of exercise issues, all kinds of behavioral issues, like you say, me- mental health issues. Uh, and when those things break down, you wind up in, in the healthcare system. Um, it strikes me that we're not particularly good at any of those things as Americans by and large, there's all, all kinds of exceptions um, in, in, in the millions, but we have a huge obesity epidemic in the US and huge mental health care crisis and huge drug crisis. And so your, your point, just to make sure I'm hearing is like measuring more mobility, morbidity, measuring lifespan, that's not necessarily um, the best metric for the quality quality of the healthcare system that's obviously like being influenced by a, a ton of other factors that we need to grapple with, but are not necessarily um, indictments of the healthcare system. That's your point, right? Yeah, no, that, that's exactly right. And I would say just sort of compound like another sort of overlay to it uh, in sort of thinking about our country's healthcare system mm-hmm. and, you know, uh, and it's not just people's own behavioral health and what they eat and how they exercise, although that's a big part of it, right? Whether they smoke, whether they drink, uh, some of it also is just like the, like, if you live in a poor neighborhood, you're probably dealing with poor air quality and you may be dealing with poor water quality. Um, but even beyond that, our country is also a super diverse, super heterogeneous society. We are the great melting pot in which we deal with a lot of different kinds of people, right? And throughout, throughout our country, um, a lot of the, m- many other society. And when you deal with m- different kinds of people in that level of diversity, you also have a much greater sort of range of healthcare issues and, and, and lifestyles and cultures that you have to deal with in sort of managing your healthcare system. And so uh, when, when you balance all of that out, right, um, you know, is our country doing worse at healthcare outcomes than other countries? I guess it sort of depends on what your metrics are. And, you know, whether we're dealing just as a, for instance, with a greater degree of difficulty um, in, in, in fashioning a healthcare system to meet the needs of our, of our, of our citizens. I think it's, I do think it's also worth, and I think this is sort of saying something you said a different way is it should be as much about people's health as it is about healthcare. And too often this conversation really tends to focus on the healthcare side and not on the health side. Yeah, and and I'm I'm afraid that part of that is is the reflection of how we sort of approach um, health generally in our country, right? Because like most most people just like, hey, there's there's a health problem, just give me the pill, just give, just give it fix to it. me, just treat fix treat it. the disease, <laughs> fix it, get, you know, you know, and and yeah, we we sort of get into this um, habit of treating disease, right, um, and treating problems when they've gone pretty pretty wrong, as opposed to doing things to try to avoid those diseases in the first place. I think we're pretty lousy at that as, as, as a country, actually. So, so maybe, maybe we could, we could sort of st- stipulate that we have a health problem for sure. And we have all kinds of different health problems in, in the yeah. country. Um, and we have healthcare challenges as well, but, but let's not um, use those terms interchangeably. I think, I think that's really good 
sort of guideposts as as we as we try to have yep. this conversation without uh, you know picking a perspective because it sounds like you have is, is some um, some diversity of those views within your coalition. G- give us an overview if you could of some of those perspectives on what we could be doing. One is one school of thought suggests that the way to control costs is to um, uh, is to sort of move towards a system in which is more sort of a holistic patient centered, where it's where they are, where the system is centered around the patient. Uh, other sort of schools of thought suggest that really the way to sort of lower costs is set some kind of ceiling in place, right? Set some kind of cap on overall cost. And that cap, that overall cap can be set at the system level, right? If you have, particularly if you have a limited number of payers. So example, sort of state, state under a single payer system would state government, for example, say, we're not going to increase healthcare costs any more than 1% each year. And then what is the impact on the healthcare system? Does the healthcare system below that cap become more efficient? There's another way of doing caps, which is called the capitated model, which essentially was pioneered here in California 30, 40 years ago, which is reflected now in a number of sort of uh, healthcare systems and also physician groups, which essentially you pay people um, X number of dollars, like a physician group or a healthcare system, X number of dollars to take care of a patient, and they need to make provide the best care possible using that set number of dollars. And so in, when you have that set number of dollars, you've seen some healthcare systems and some like large physician groups, et cetera, uh, innovate and also pay more attention to the health side of the equation as opposed to the healthcare side of the equation, because the more you keep your patients healthy, right, the cheaper you're going to, the cheaper you're going to be able to provide healthcare for them because you're going to lower their overall healthcare needs generally. Um, uh, other people like different, different there's other schools of thought which focus on individual categories or silos within the healthcare system it are, you know, pharmaceutical costs, hospital costs, uh, doctor costs, or doctors uh, prescribing the right amount of care, sort of the right care at the right time in the right, in the right manner, or are they over-prescribing? Um, there's, uh, there's all, I mean, it's all these different possible ways that people have suggested and sometimes explored and sometimes proposed and grinded through legislation um, in order to sort of address this same, this same basic issue. One of the challenges is just the nature of healthcare and say, you know, some of these things sort of seem to presuppose that there is a perfect amount of healthcare to provide someone in the per, in, a, in a given situation. And, and that is a, a, a huge assumption, just given the practical way that people that doctors work, that nurses work in terms of diagnosing people and working with them to provide healthcare. Um, so some of this is almost a, uh, do you want your doctor, just as a, for instance, uh, prescribing the extra three or four tests just to rule out something, which is a 0.5% possibility? Well, maybe, I mean, particularly if that 0.5% possibility is something which is particularly scary or particularly or lethal or particularly harmful to you, right? In the abstract, though, if you're saying, well, should a doctor order, say, $1,500 worth of tests for something which has a, such a small chance of existing, you, you know, a theoretician might say, no, of course you shouldn't do that. that the cost benefit of that on the societal level isn't worth it. But like, if it's you wearing the patient shoes, you know, what's your decision in that? You know, how do, how do, you, how do you call that? Right. Uh, so... That's a that's a, a a long complex answer to the question of how people think about controlling costs. 
some of it is they've got a bunch of different proposals, but some of it also sort of is underlying it is how do we think about what the right, how to write value healthcare that's provided. And a big part of that is, is sort of understanding what the determinations and sort of evaluations we're making to determine what the right healthcare is. Yeah. And that's, and that's not always as simple as it's. I think it's just such an important point. I, I, I'm just going to give you a, some, per, some personal anecdotes. I'm, I'd go even a step further than the 0.5%. I, I've, I've, I've had this weird experience with my own doctor who I love, um, but because I'm an annoying patient, you know, I ask questions when they give us, you know, they give us access to the charts and I read it and I just don't, I'm not a doctor, not a scientist, don't always understand what it is. And what I have found is just the mere act of asking a question usually provokes further tests. <laughs> okay. And, 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 and then the further tests, like I'll go to the specialist or whatever, and, and they won't even acknowledge as a 0.5%. They'll be like, why are you here, dude? Like, like what, yeah. what's, what's going on? And, and I think what's going on is just a concern about liability. Right. I, I think, I think it's just in her mind of like, you know, he, he, the record's now going to say he asked about his EKG and I'm not a cardiologist. And so I got to go send him for this stuff. And, and not only do, does that strike me as extremely wasteful, I actually think there's some danger in that from a physical healthcare perspective, because I, th I think when you are getting people overly concerned about non-existent or virtually non-existent risks, you know, there, there's a real possibility that they start taking measures to correct those things and measures that they shouldn't be doing, um, right? right? Like, um, you know, preemptively taking a supplement maybe that they shouldn't be doing or, you know, some exotic diet or maybe talking their doctor into prescribing something that, that they shouldn't be doing. So yeah, it, I feel like we're on a hair trigger with communications with, with our doctors and there's gotta be some way to tackle that. Yeah, again, and then that's, uh, it, you know, healthcare is a big sprawling space, right, with lots of, lots of issues and sub issues. And, uh, and this is one of them. I mean, you know, the doctors will tell you that some doctors in particular will tell you that the shadow of uh, the specter of legal liability uh, has an impact on on their the, the, the tests that they order and sort of the, the, the care that they provide, because right. they feel like they need to over prescribe in order to cover themselves. Um, yeah, there's not a, it, it's not clean. Human beings, human beings aren't clean, right? We're not, we're not these logical systems that always make sense. And so right. when we're thinking about the care and feeding and tending of these illogical sort of sometimes messy systems, it's going to be like a little illogical and a little messy. Yeah, we're, we're prone to bust. Okay, so, so now I want to talk more about process and procedure in, in these bills in particular. And I think one of the, the things that I think is really interesting from the perspective you're tackling is, we have a debate about what should happen federally, and then we have a debate on what should happen at the state level. And, you know, the last Democratic presidential primary, I feel like the only thing the candidates wound up debating was, are you for single payer or not? Because they actually didn't disagree on very much. And, and so you wind up sort of, you know, arguing about public option and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, but but one, of, one of the arguments that I heard articulated by... Biden and Mayor Pete and eventually Kama when she sort of evolved on this issue. But I, but I thought this was a particularly persuasive way of saying it is, hey, you know what? Like in a clean slate world, if we were just like creating a healthcare system from scratch, maybe single payer would be, right? not necessarily, but maybe that, maybe that would be. But that's not what we're doing. We're talking about, you know, decades and decades and uh, trillions of dollars in our economy 
and tearing up that huge, I forget what the number is, like what percentage of the economy, the healthcare is like tearing Eight, that up. And start, 18. Mm-hmm. 18. Okay. So like tearing up 20, basically 20% of our economy and starting over that, even if you believe in single pair, I think this is an interesting way to sort of bridge the gap. Like even if you believe in it as an ideological matter, as a tabula or as a clean slate, that's just not practical in what we have. And so we, we've got to go the Obamacare route where we make improvements to Obamacare, get to 95, 100% coverage like we have in California. I, what, do you, what do you make of that argument? That struck me as a very sensible way to kind of cut through the emotion on this. Um, yeah. uh, that makes a lot of sense. I think that what's interesting to me is the willingness that some people have to just destroy an entire sector of the economy because they think they have a better solution and destroy an entire um, aspect of our lives that's working pretty well just because they want to start over and, and foist their worldview and their, their policy opinion off on, on everybody and on something which is as important and sort of fundamental to being a human being as, as our health and as our healthcare. Uh, it's, um, it, it, it boggles my mind a little bit that people are so dismissive of, uh, of, of, of what exists already. Right. And then that they're just, they're just willing to write it off. And they, when you say, what about this set of folks that may lose their jobs? What about this set of trade-offs right. and considerations? It's essentially, and this is, I think, probably ultimately the Achilles heel of the, of that, of the movement beyond, beyond the policy problems, which are almost intractable when you're trying to do this, um, uh, is they won't admit of any downside to right. single payer. <laughs> right, it's, it's a very absolutist argument, right? It's, yeah. and, 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 and everybody, I think that makes people uncomfortable when you have people presenting absolutist positions and suggesting that particularly something on this grand scale doesn't bring any trade-offs. I think is uh, people are naturally suspicious of that and skeptical of it, which I think is also a hurdle that that the single payer movement has. Uh, you will see it's it's very interesting to watch what what their approach is. Is they focus almost primarily something in like ninety percent of their communications and their messages are focused on the problem, right? Like. Uh, insurers and making too much profits, like the pharmaceutical costs, like uh, uh, the profit motive, uh, uh, the administration. Uh, but recognizing something as a problem and talking about the problem doesn't meet the burden of proof for societal change. You have to have a solution that also makes sense. Yeah. And, and this is the thing, this is, this is some, a place where they are weak. And I think probably the fact that they don't talk about the solution very much at all betrays what I suspect is a lack of confidence ultimately in their solution. Yeah. Uh, even as they are also at the same time refusing to admit that there are pro- that there may be problems with single payer. I think that's a really interesting point. I think this is true in politics generally. Right? We, like we, it's it's not a bad argument technique. It's actually a pretty powerful argument technique. And you know, in, in the courtroom, they would say, "When you're strong on the law." Pound on the law when you're strong on yeah. the facts. Pound yeah. on the facts when you're strong on either pound on the table. You know, yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, it, it, you're right. There's there's a there's a lot of that going on. I, I want to dig into this issue with just a little bit of like what you think the federal versus state role on this because like let's just 
take the, the drug cost thing, for instance, I think it's outrageous that Medicare can't negotiate for lower drug costs, but that's a purely federal issue from my understanding that Congress just killed again. Um, and, and, and I'm sure there's dozens of examples of problems within the healthcare system that can only be tackled at, at the federal level. And then there's a lot that, that can be done at the state level. But, but this issue, like, like let's, you know, th- this one is really sort of troubling to me just from the perspective of like, wait, we want to take the largest state in the country and do this experiment here while no one else, there's, there is no other state, right. That, that has single parent. Am I, am I right about that? No, correct. Okay. Yeah. So not Vermont, not Massachusetts, not, you know, not extremely progressive places, even ones that you know, Bernie represents. So, so how do you think about that? Just in terms of the implications of doing such a massive reform at a state level rather than a federal level. Uh, yeah, so there's, there's, I think there's two pretty interesting points here. Uh, one, uh, uh, the states are frequently appropriate laboratories for experimentation uh, in, in the policy space in which they're able to sort of check, check out a policy and sort of work through some of the, 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 the details of the challenges that arise and different states trying different things. Sometimes that can percolate up and make sense at sort of implement, implementing at the national level. The single biggest problem with doing that with single payer is that over 50% of the funding stream basically for healthcare in most states comes from the federal government. And so, uh, and so you, are, you have to figure out some way of getting your hands on that, on that money. And in this instance, it's the money for Medicare, it's the, it's the federal match for Medicaid, it's things like veterans care, it's things like some other federal programs that find the funding that finds their way out to California or out dead down to the state level. Um, the simple challenge with that is that you're, you essentially are going to need congressional action. Single, some single payer proponents will tell you that CMS, the Center for Medicaid Services, Medi- Medicare Medicaid Services can provide the waiver on its own. Almost nobody believes that who seriously looked at the issue. So essentially you need both administrative support and you also need congressional action in order to do that. And even if you get the right Congress and you get the right administration, right? You get a non-Biden because Biden administration would never do that. Even if you got Javier Becerra, right? CMS, he's saying- Not in a million years. Not in a million years, right? Uh, Even if you get that for a moment in time, what happens when power shifts? And in this instance, for example, the Republicans take back over. You would have, in this instance, um, completely overhauled your healthcare system on the promise of federal dollar, over $200 billion a year coming from the feds, which would in all likelihood be withdrawn almost immediately upon the Republicans taking power again. And what would the state do then? Are you like you're not going to have insurers in place. You're not going to have coverage in place. You're going to have massive disruption in people's ability to access doctors and hospitals. You're essentially going to take, uh, even, you know, even if you think we're paying 20% too much for healthcare, 30% too much for healthcare, if you take away 60% of the funding, you're going to have way less healthcare. It's going to be a, it's, it's going to be a massive detonation in the middle of this hugely important critical piece of, of, of human infrastructure. I think this is such an important point. And just to dwell on the Congress thing, Congress is never going to do that. Not even with 60 Democratic votes. We, you know, that would, that would mean people like Manchin and Sinema and, and others would, would certainly never do it. So, yeah, I mean, this is, an, this is another example of, I, I feel like, 
you can maybe cut through the ideology a little bit. Like, let's, let's just stipulate you're right. Let's just let's just stipulate the other side's like that would be the better system, and we should do it. But we literally don't have the permission from the federal government to do it, and we'd be nuking the California and, economy if we did. Yeah, and it's and it's a and it's not a it's it's not a could have. It's a it's a gotta have. It's a absolutely must have. It's an imperative of making single payer work at the state level that you get that funding. The second piece, I think, beyond sort of the policy impact on this is um, why then are single payer advocates pushing to have the to pushing to pass single payer in states around the country when they know that it has this fatal flaw? And the practical answer to that is they're not actually trying to pass single payer policies in states. This is really a political. This is really a political strategy in which they're trying to elevate and persuade people and get more people on board single payer so that it can happen at the national level. Their rhetoric would suggest that each one of these bills that they introduce or that they have their, that, that they have their um, allies introduce in these state legislatures is a must have and is do or die and that like they're all in and like it's gotta happen, right? And that it can happen. They know it can't happen. Right. So then the question, so what's really going on here really is just an elaborate political exercise in building political movement. I, I love episodes where we get to talk about what's really going on here. That's the, <laughs> that's that, that's one of the best of the show. So, so that's fascinating. I hadn't thought about it in those stark terms. And I, and I think the progression of how we got there in this conversation really lays that out. So, um, so then great segue to just where does it stand? I mean, you, it sounds like you killed it for this year. Um, what's, what is the status in California? So the, the bill is currently, uh, it, it was pulled, so it's dead for the year. Uh, like there's, you know, there's always some chance that they can bring it back, but they're not going to this year, it sounds like. And the, the single biggest challenge that they ran into this year is they've been talking about this at the conceptual level for, for years. And they, even, they were even able to move SB 562 several years ago, which was an earlier version of single payer. They've been able to move these bills and they were, and they, and they were talking about AB 1400 prior to this year. They were able to talk about it and be taken seriously because they did not have a funding mechanism attached to it. Uh, this year, uh, the speaker required them to have, like, actually have a funding mechanism because that's if okay. If we're going to take this seriously, you need the, the bucks in the door in order to make this happen. And the funding mechanism was, and this is discounting, not even counting the federal piece of this, the two hundred twenty billion dollars a year that you need to get from the, Fed, the feds, was a hundred and sixty billion dollars in higher taxes, and it was. That the taxes were on uh, $110 billion of it was a what they call a gross receipts tax, which is essentially something that every single business, small or large, must pay um, for every dollar that they pull in the door. So essentially something that would have increased the cost with every good and service in the state of California, because those costs always get passed on to consumers. Uh, a payroll tax, part of which would have been paid by employers, part of which actually would have been paid by employees. Who make as little as $49,000 a year, uh, an income tax on people making as little as $149,000 a year. That probably used to be um, maybe further up the income level, but here in California, $150,000 for a family of four or five doesn't go as far as it used to. Um, and then there were a few other taxes. The thing they ran into basically is that when you, they have to make the dollars part of their argument support fleas and no Democrat, even if they are a, even if sort of in your words, they sort of really appreciate this sort of single payer conceptually. 
and very few Democrats are willing to take a political hit for voting for a tax on your paycheck if you're making 49 grand a year yeah. and, a t- and a tax to increase the cost of every good and service that you have to purchase in California, particularly in a time of massive concerns about affordability. So I, I love your political perspective on this. I think that's um, something I haven't heard before that, that their, their goal is not really to pass it. It's to make the political point nationally. But, but what about as a ballot initiative? I mean, isn't, is there some risk that if they went to the ballot that, that this could pass? I mean, we, we passed some pretty crazy things on the ballot here in California with enough money behind them. No, like uh, there's, you know, uh, zero chance. Like I don't trust people when they say zero chance, but uh, very, very close to zero chance that you that you pass something like this at the ballot. Uh, single payer people, uh, people throw around public opinion polling a lot. And as you know, as almost everybody knows, uh, your, your polling is only as good as the question you ask. So if you ask people, do you support Medicare for all in California? And they give you a yes answer. It's largely meaningless because they have no idea what you're talking about. In the ballot measure context, issues get explored, issues get defined, uh, issues get uncovered, and people get a chance actually to sort of dig in and figure out what a phrase or a catchphrase or what a bumper sticker actually sort of means. And when you go under the hood, and you don't have to even go under the hood that much, but when you sort of peel back the layers on single payer and you realize not just the cost issues, not just the sort of we're exposing ourselves to sort of congressional change, changeover issues, but when you realize that you, you have to, you're forced into the state government program and you can't opt out. Uh, and there really aren't any meaningful guarantees that you're going to be able to keep your doctor or keep your specialist or keep your access to folks. When, you, when people start to learn those things, what starts off as positive support for what is essentially a bromide quickly right. shifts and becomes more of a, a much more focused human response or voter response to what's actually going on with single payer. And there's no chance that the people, voters of California, sorry, very, very little chance that the voters yeah. of California would ever accept that. Well, I'm a lot less worried about this after talking. I gotta, I gotta, I gotta say, it's nice to feel better on a Friday, given the news cycle we've had this week in particular. We're, we're talking of uh, amen, yeah. amen. Um, but having said that, and it's a good place to wrap. If people want to support your work, get involved, read more because it's California, and the reason that I think you can be so confident is because of all the great work you've done mobilizing people on this. Where can they find out more and read more about what you're doing? Yeah, uh, protectcaliforniahealthcare.org. Great. Uh, well, Ned, thanks for what you're doing. Um, really, really interesting conversation. Pleasure to have you on the show. Yeah, thanks for your time. Great conversation. Appreciate it. We invite you to share story ideas, comments, and questions. Find us at NeptuneOps.com or on Twitter at, at NationStateOfP1. Again, that's at NationStateOfP and then the number one. Follow us and subscribe to listen to all of our episodes as we continue to explore the inside stories driving California policy. This is the Nation State of Play podcast, powered by Neptune Ops and presented by IVC Media. I'm your host, Brian Miller, and thank you for listening. American democracy is good, but we can make it better. The National Association of Nonpartisan Reformers includes organizations across the country who are working right now to build a better democracy by opening primaries, implementing safe, secure voting systems, reducing corruption, and increasing transparency. Listen to our weekly podcast, How to Win Friends and Save the Republic, 
to hear updates from the latest movements in the democracy reform space. Subscribe and learn more about us at nonpartisanreformers.org.